Section 22 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet. Translated by Marion McIntyre. Section 22. The Concert of Company 8. All the battalions of the Marais and of the Faubourg Saint-Antoine were encamped that night in the barracks along the Avenue Dominil. For three days the army of Ducrot had been fighting upon the heights of Champigny, and the rest of us had been prevailed upon to believe that we formed the reserve. Nothing could have been more dismal than this encampment upon the boulevard exterieur, surrounded by factory chimneys, closed stations, and deserted lumber yards, lighted only by a few wine-sellers' shops. Nothing more glacial, more sordid, could be pictured than these long rows of wooden barracks, erected upon a ground dried and hardened by the cold of December. The frames of their windows were badly joined, the doors were always open, and the smoky lamps dimmed with the fog like lanterns in the open air. It was impossible to read, to sleep, to remain seated. It was necessary to invent street urchins' games merely to keep warm. Men were seen beating their feet together and running around the barracks. Such absurd inaction, so close to the field of battle, was as ignominious as it was enervating, especially on that night. Although the cannonade had ceased, all felt that something terrible was about to happen above, and from time to time, when the electric searchlights of the forts flashed upon that side of Paris in their circular movement, silent troops could be seen massed along the edge of the pavements, and others ascending the avenue in somber masses, apparently crouching close to the ground and looking like pygmies beside the high columns of the Place du Tronc. I was standing, almost frozen, hid in the darkness which wrapped those great boulevards, when someone said to me, Come and see Company 8. It seems they are having a concert. I went. Each of our companies had its own barrack. That of Company 8 was much better lighted than the others and crammed with people. Candles fastened to the end of bayonets were flaming, clouded with black smoke. They shone in full upon these vulgar mechanic spaces, brutalized by drunkenness, cold, fatigue, and that wretched sleep taken while standing, sleep which makes pale, sallow faces. In a corner, her mouth wide open, the cantinière was dozing curled up upon a bench before her small table loaded with empty bottles and dirty glasses. Someone was singing. As their turns came, Messieurs les amateurs mounted a stage improvised in the back of the room and there they attitudinized, declaimed. Draped in their blankets, they recalled melodramatic memories. I listened again to those robustious, ear-splitting voices, such as one hears resounding from the extremity of some passage, or from those workingmen's quarters filled with clamorous children, noisy workshops and bird cages. Such a voice is charming to hear when it mingles with the music of tools, with an accompaniment of plane or hammer. But there, upon that stage, the sound was as absurd as it was painful. First of all, 
we had the pensive working man, a mechanic with a long beard, droning the woes of the proletary. Pauvre proletaire, issued from deep down in his throat, in a song in which the Holy International has located its angers. Then another came on half asleep. He sang to us the famous song of the canaille, but to an air so wearisome, slow and doleful, that one might have mistaken it for a lullaby. C'est la canaille, eh bien, j'en suis. And while he was chanting, we could hear the snoring of those who had sought corners determined to sleep, and with a grunt turned about trying to avoid the light. Suddenly, a white flash passed between the boards and caused the red flame of the candles to pale. At the same time, a heavy sound shook the barrack, followed by other sounds, heavier and farther away, which rumbled among the hills of Champigny and then grew fitful and faint. The battle was beginning again. But Messieurs les Amateurs scoffed at the very idea of a battle. The stage itself and those four candles had stirred in all these people the indescribable instincts of the low comedian. It was curious to see how each lay in wait for the last couplet of a predecessor, ready to snatch the ballad from his lips. They felt the cold no longer. Those who were upon the stage, those who descended it, and those who were awaiting their turn, a ballad at their tongue's end, all were perspiring, red in the face, their eyes kindled. Vanity kept them warm. There were local celebrities present, among them an upholsterer poet, who asked permission to sing a little song of his own composition, entitled The Egoist, with a refrain, Chassoum pour soi. And as he had an impediment in his speech, he could only say, Egoift, and Fassoun pour foi. It was a satire upon the big-bellied bourgeois, who would rather sit by his own fireside than go to the outposts. I can still seem to see the fine head of this fabulist, who, with his kepi askew, his chin-piece strapped about his chin, emphasized every word of his chassonette, hurling maliciously at us that refrain, Fassoum pour foi, Fassoum pour foi. During this time, cannon were making music too, mingling that profound bass with the roulades of the mitrailleuses. They told of the wounded dying of cold in the snow. They spoke of the agony upon the roadsides amid pools of frozen blood. They told of blinding shells, of shadowy death, stealing through the night on every hand. But the concert of Company 8 continued. And now obscene songs began. An old rigolo with bloodshot eyes and red nose frisked about upon the stage, followed by a mad stamping of feet, cries of again and bravos. The broad grin which greets obscenities permitted among men spread over all these faces. Suddenly, the cantinier awoke, and hemmed in by the crowd, devoured by all those eyes, contorted her features into the semblance of a smile, while the old man shouted in his husky voice, Le bon Dieu, ce comment? I could stand it no longer. I left. My turn to be on duty was coming. So much the worse. I needed room and air. I walked straight ahead, 
but slowly towards the Seine. The river was dark, the quay deserted. Paris, wrapped in gloom, deprived of gas, was slumbering, encircled with fires. Everywhere the flash of the cannon, and from place to place on the heights, the ruddy light of incendiary fires. Quite near to me I heard low, hurried voices, sounding quite distinctly through the cold air. They panted for breath. They cheered each other on. Ho! Heave there! Suddenly the voices stopped, as if suspended because of some arduous and mighty labor which requires all one's strength. As I approached the edge of the quay, I was able to distinguish in that vague light, rising from the still darker waters, a gunboat which had been stopped at the Bercy Bridge and was trying to ascend the current. The lanterns, which shook with every movement of the water, the grating of the cables, which sailors were hauling, indicated the falls, the recoils, all the shocks of that struggle against the malevolence of the river and the night. Valiant little boat! How impatient all these delays made her! She churned the water furiously with her wheels, making it splash and bubble where she stood. At last a supreme effort pushed her forward, Courage, boys! And when she had passed, and was advancing directly onward through the fog towards the battle which had summoned her, there rose a mighty cry of Vive la France! and echoed under the bridge. Ah, that concert of Company Eight! How far away it seemed! End of section 22. Recording by Linda Johnson.